Oh my gosh. It's game week. I can't believe we're saying that. My name is Brian Anthony Davis. Here we go. It's the Steelers show. KT Smith is along with me. KT, what is going on, my friend? Nah, just enjoying that little funky baseline that we were bringing us in there on. I think, yeah, that, I think that little funky baseline is very appropriate for the show. There's a little bit of a little bit of a funk to this show. Yeah, there. You know what? I did this. I played this song today as well on Bad Language, and I replayed it. And I'm gonna I'm gonna actually replay it. I'm gonna do it now. <laughs> and this isn't a mistake. But you know that funk just gets you going, and because it is game week. Now listen to this guy right here. He gets excited. Right, right about here. Well, I, I might have talked over him. I mean, I know he gets <laughs> excited, and now I'm I'm really bummed that I didn't do it. But I just feel like it's the here we go dance party. Yeah, heck yeah, the here we go dance party. Maybe maybe one day there'll be a here we go dance. There party. he is in the background. Like, yeah, so uh, you know we can get Saturday night funky and uh, Friday night. The Steelers are uh, playing their first preseason game. I cannot believe that. You know, it seems like camp just started. It seems like one of our best here at Steel Curtain Network and Fans First Sports Network was just there August 3rd. And I think his name is KT Smith. We're going to be talking about that in a little bit too. But Kevin, how are you? Ah, fantastic. Just just finished a tour of the great state of Pennsylvania. So I... Uh... Out in Latrobe on Thursday, and then went went through your your neck of the woods. Uh, we actually stayed in a little town that night, so I could write the article that I wrote for uh, uh, Steel Curtain Network. We stayed in a little town, which actually the name is escaping me now. Uh, but Huntington, we stayed in Huntington. Huntington, yes, yeah. I I know and, Huntington. Uh, well. That was cool, cool little town. Junior out of college was there. Like I yep. liked little little college towns, and then hit Hershey Park. And then we finished it up with my son's basketball tournament near Philadelphia. So we really kind of went from the the west to the east and or east to west and back. So it was a beautiful, beautiful state, man. I, you know, I love I went to college in, in central Pennsylvania and I always enjoy getting back to, to visit. It's a beautiful state. Well, you know what? I live in Maryland, but not too far from Hershey Park now. And, you know, I also uh, I'm also so close to uh to Pittsburgh still. I mean, I consider three hours close, but I spend a lot of time in Pennsylvania. I, I camp in Pennsylvania, which is only an hour away. My gosh, I could be in Pennsylvania in what about eight minutes from, cause I'm that close to 81. So, you know, it's uh, you know, my parents are in PA no longer in Johnstown, but I love it. I do have to get back to Latrobe. What do you think of that place? I know it's your second time there, but it's a quaint little town, isn't it? Special little place for sure, right? Cool, cool little downtown. Uh, get get some good little restaurants going on in there. But I mean, obviously the showstoppers at, at St. Vincent. The just the vibe for the for anybody who's been there, they'll they'll know what I'm talking about. But people who have not, who are listening, uh, you, you know, you roll up through uh, the you know, the rolling hills around that just sort of ring the campus there at St. Vincent, and you you come up, you're you're kind of parking adjacent to a, a couple of gigantic cornfields. And they, they sort of walk you in through a maze of Steelers memorabilia tents. And I felt really bad. The, uh, we were walking through one of them. And, it, and there was this uh, Rocky Blyer's jersey. And the actual helmet that Rocky Blyer wore was in there uh, in this you know, nice little plastic case. And they had a great display with Rocky Blyer's story. 
And we walked out of the tent. We got about five feet out of the tent. And this huge gust of wind blew up and lit- literally lifted the, the tent up. And the, the whole Rocky Blyer display fell over and crashed onto the ground. <laughs> I was like, that is just disrespectful to the, the great Rocky Blyer. But I, I thought but you were they, going to. Oh, I thought you were going to say a story that one of your family members took the helmet. <laughs> no, no, no. That, that would, I would have encouraged that. I would have been like, yeah, shh, let's get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> Run. Yeah. But, but hey. you, know, you, you walk through when, when you come out of the, you know, the memorabilia and the gift shop and all that area, you go down this little hill and then it just opens up onto this beautiful scene. The, uh, the shrubbery that's trimmed out that spells St. Vincent. That That's such a cool spot because i i'd seen that for years and years like on espn when they would do like live from steelers training camp and to get to see it in person was really special and then uh yeah you you have the beautiful brick buildings of the campus and the the players they come down from the hill from where the buildings are where they're having their meeting rooms or the dorms and the the fans kind of line the walkway that leads them down to the to the practice fields and they you know they stop they sign autographs it's just a special environment i there's probably some nfl training camps that are more modern and have more conveniences and and maybe just a little better technology etc but there's something about the vibe there that makes it a special place it 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 just fits right with the pittsburgh steelers because it seems to be a place that's heavy on culture and tradition just like the steelers are so i really do think it's a kind of an ideal spot for a training camp yeah, you know, the Las Vegas Raiders, you know, they're in Vegas. They're in that area and they're basically at the at the facility and that is a first class facility. Our uh, f- excuse me, Fans First Sports Networks uh Hondo Carpenter who, you know, I work with for the uh Fans First Sports Network and he's reporting from there all the time. It's the, uh, it's absolutely incredible. And he talks about how they have some of the greatest facilities in the uh, National Football League. Now, now for me though, I like the quaintness. I love the fact that the players are, you know, staying in dorms. Now, I'm sure some of them have uh, a little better accommodations than others. Some of them have the RA rooms, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> What's that get you like the a bigger fridge? Is that what that get? <laughs> you have the room to yourself, and you. I mean, but you know, it, it's it's awesome that they do it. But we've had this debate in the past that the Steelers, you know, it's not really for the players; it's for the fans because the players can say all they want. Oh, we love to be there because it's for the fans, but it's out of their comfort zone. They'd rather be driving home. Because I've watched Hard Knocks, even though I've never seen the Steelers in Hard Knocks, but when they're away and they're on a campus and they're away from their apartments and or their houses, you know, it's it's just different because they're going away. And now you have players that don't have to do that with in different teams. But I like that throwback to uh, yesteryear, and I love the stories from training camp. And there's no distractions. I I remember when I went to training camp at college for the first time, and we we stayed in these dorms and the the TVs weren't hooked up yet. There was no air conditioning. It was hot as heck. It was the first week of August. And yeah, you went to practice. You're up early. You went to meetings. You went to practice. You ate. You went to another meeting. You went back to your room and you slept. You laid like on your bed, like in your underwear with the like three fans blasting on you (laughs) for, you know, maybe 90 minutes or so. And then you had to get up and, and repeat the same exact 
procedure in the afternoon. It was it was very uncomfortable. You were in a totally unique environment. You didn't know anybody, and there was absolutely nothing to do but focus on football. And, and I think, yeah, and I, and I think honestly that that that's probably what the what the franchise prefers. The, there aren't those distractions. You are you are locked in. It it is uh, it's like football boot camp in a way. And and I, I would I wouldn't want the Steelers to be in an environment where there are a lot of distractions. I really think that it's great for team building and, and it forces those guys to be a hundred percent focused. Wouldn't it be great if the Steelers did their training camp instead of St. Vincent? I know that's uh, sacrilegious to say, but if they did it at Hogwarts, <laughs> uh, who would be in Slytherin? <laughs> would be a- uh, I'm sure. Uh, I know back in the day, uh, Debo, James Harrison would have been in Slytherin and, oh, 100%. and I'm sure Greg Lloyd, I'm, I'm sure. Gosh, that might be a show. That's an off-season show. <laughs> what Harry Potter houses each one would be in. But you know what? I'm going to play the music because it's time to take... Still curtain network. All right, we are back. Yeah, have you heard enough of that music? I know everybody's getting tired of it already. I'm not. I'm going to hear that in my sleep. You know, uh, Kevin Smith is going to be playing it on the way to school and uh, in the car. The kids are going to be, what's going on? I mean, it's it's not worst looking, man. It's not as good as uh, our old JCB stuff. And we still have JCB. We still have Jerry Cherry. We're not turning our back on him. We still play a lot of his stuff. I'm just uh, playing around with uh, some of the shows. And some of the music, and I thought that would be fun to add that. We've got this this whole library now that I could look through and find different music for different shows, um, not just here, but in all the fans for a sports network. And I, I have found some, I think anything that I produce probably has the weirdest <laughs> music <laughs> or the most fun music is what I do for my intros for all these shows. So if you check out any of the insiders on Fans First Sports Network, you know that uh, my music is attached to it. Even though it's not me, it's just I picked it out. Well, it keeps it fresh, man. Yep, you you got it. Let's get into it. So you took your entire family. Yep. You went to training camp. And yep. I know there were, uh, on the week that it was, we had an apology to you because we felt bad because when Dave Schofield and I were talking about August 3rd, it was a no pad day. How bummed were you that it was no pads? Yeah. And when I originally looked at the schedule, it, it uh, was designated as a day in pads. And then they changed that. I was, I was bummed because without the pads, you couldn't really evaluate the linemen. And I was really looking forward to evaluating them. I mean, my favorite part of any football practice is watching what goes on you know, in the trenches. It's just watching the upfront stuff. I think that's really where you learn the most. And obviously I wanted to get a good look at Broderick Jones and, and Dan Jr. And that, that battle. And I wanted to get a good look at Keanu Benton and uh, some of the free agent defense alignment that they've, that they signed guys like Armin Watts and Braden Fajoko you guys, you know, you don't hear a whole lot about. Uh, and, and yet at, at some point you, you want to say to yourself, you yeah, know, what, what's going on with these guys? So you didn't get that, but you got an awful lot of 
great stuff on the perimeter. I mean, it was really exciting to watch what was happening on the perimeter, what was happening with Kenny Pickett, getting getting a good look at the linebackers. So I felt like uh, yeah, I got a lot out of it, even without the pads. What stood out to you, Kevin, the most? Because I know you take a pad, a pad and paper, and you have a like a shopping list of what <laughs> you're looking for. Is that correct? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you can break it into two categories, really. There's the structural element of it. How how are they running the practice? Because, I mean, this is really the sort of like the making the sausage part of football that that most people don't get to see. Right. The What happens on Sundays is the product. That's the sausage itself. But what happens on Monday through Saturday is that's that's the you know the making of the sausage, right? And and I'm as a coach, obviously, I'm pretty interested in how that goes. And so I paid a lot of attention to what are the what are, are are all the different groups working on, and and does that give you any insight into what the Steelers may be doing? For example, when the offensive line broke up into their individual period, where it's just the linemen by themselves. They worked an awful lot on on backside cutoff blocks, which essentially is if you're a guard or a tackle climbing up onto the backside of a play and trying to cut off a linebacker. Well, that's uh, a skill that relates to the outside zone play. And outside zone is a scheme that the Steelers have kind of dabbled in the last couple of years, but everybody's been expecting a heavier dose of that. And they worked that skill a lot and it it led me to think well you know maybe we're going to see some more outside zone they really worked hard also on pulling linemen all the all the linemen centers guards and tackles were all going through drills where they were pulling and the Steelers didn't do didn't do a lot of that last year they they were they were a one scheme team last year they ran inside zone and duo which are like basically you know very very different you know slightly different versions of the same scheme they didn't run a lot of pull uh, stuff where they were pulling. And I saw a lot of that in the individual group work with the linemen. So, you know, you, you say to yourself, okay, is, is this a, is this a harbinger of what's to come this year? Or is this just uh, something that they're getting, they're, t- they're taking a look at. So again, structural element. I mean, I, I really paid a lot of attention to uh, the, the linebackers and the run fits that they were working on. It's, it's hard to see the defense from practice at uh, St. Vincent because they're on the further field to, to where the fans are, the closer field, the offense is on and the further field, the defense is on. So when the defense breaks up by themselves, you know, you have to kind of walk, a, walk a ways over to get a decent look at them. But I, I wanted to see how the, how the linebackers are moving. And uh, man, I'll tell you what, uh, Mark Robinson, he can fly. He can get downhill. Now getting downhill is not going to be his issue. His issue is going to be, uh, getting out of position, getting downhill too fast and being out position out of position. But that was, that was fun to watch just to, as they went through that kind of stuff. Now it was another disappointing thing is it was a veterans day off. So no Cam Hayward, no TJ Watt, no Minka Fitzpatrick, no Deontay Johnson, no Allen Robinson. I missed a lot of those guys. So, but again, the plus side of that is you got, you got a long, hard look at some of the young guys. So again, a lot to look at, a lot to see. The flip side of that, and I'll talk about this in a minute, is the individual matchups. And there were some great individual matchups, and and that was just some show-stopping stuff. So what was the show-stopping stuff? Uh, Joey Porter Jr. versus George Pickens was 
Must oh, see. were you there for Must that catch? Um, I wasn't there for the one that's going around all, all over Twitter. That was the day before I got there. But okay. but the battle between those two was outrageous. I mean, Pickens made another show-stopping catch. And he and he just he just did it like it was no big deal. I mean, they, they he was matched up in one on one against Porter from like a bunch formation, a condensed set, and he ran a, a, a deep corner route, and Porter <clears throat> Porter was all over him, uh, two two all over him. He actually got flagged by the officials at practice for for this play, a little, being a little too handsy. Uh, but it was a corner route, and and Kenny Pickett, one thing. I'll talk about this in a minute, but one thing Kenny Pickett really worked a lot on was his timing. There was a lot of emphasis on getting the ball out faster. And so George Pickens runs this corner route and Kenny Pickett lets it go before Pickens makes his break. So he really got it out early. And as Pickens makes his break and kind of separates a little bit from Porter, he looks up for the ball and the ball's on him. You know, it's on him right now. So he's got like a split second to react to it. And it's thrown a little bit out in front of him at towards the front pylon of the end zone. And he just full fully lays out. I mean, he's he's like horizontal to the ground when he reaches out and snags this thing and catches this ball and pulls it in. Uh, and it just it's it's an incredible catch, man. And the crowd goes nuts. That's that's the other, other cool thing. Every time there's a big play, the crowd really kind of goes nuts. You almost get like a a vibe that you're at a real game. Um, and I mean, it was great coverage, man. Porter, Porter, a little grabby. He's going to have to work on that. He's he's a little handsy and a little grabby, uh, and the officials are going to are going to hit him for it. But but man, he stayed in George Pickens's hip pocket all day long. That was the thing I loved the most about it. it. Was like Pickens is making these incredible catches, but they're incredible catches because the coverage is really good and the balls are having to be thrown into spots where only Pickens can can get it there was another play later on where he just ran a straight nine route that's just a straight go route up the sideline uh against porter and pickens pickett just aired it out so you know it was one of those beautiful balls where the ball's in the air forever and the, and he's running you know they're running stride for stride down the sideline and the crowd has just got anticipation and uh and at the last second right porter puts his hand up and deflects the ball but when he deflects it he he knocks it way up into the air and and Pickens just keeps tracking it. And then effort, as it comes down, effortlessly just snags it with one hand. And the crowd goes nuts, but the refs ruled him out of bounds. And then Porter, you know, and then Porter's celebrating. And then Pickens throws the ball at Porter. And, I mean, it, they're battling each – they're making each other so much better. And that was, the, that was my big takeaway with those two guys. Here's two – we're talking about a second-year guy and a rookie. And I know the Steelers veterans were, were sitting out. So, so they didn't really attract the attention. But here's a second-year guy and a rookie who are just commanding the practice. Every rep they take, everybody's eyes in the entire practice is on them. And I just was super impressed with how, uh, how composed and mature and competitive they were, how they got after it. And, they, you know, you know they were trash talking to each other mercilessly. But yet at the same time, it wasn't a stupid pushing and shoving or any of that nonsense. It just was coming from a place of respect. I walked away from that practice saying to myself, both those guys are going to be stars. And they may be stars sooner than later. So that was the thing I was more excited about than anything else. So let me ask you, you mentioned the handsiness of Joey Porter Jr. And we've we've heard that all along. But is it warranted? Because the one thing that's scaring a lot of people about George Pickens is the fact that 
there could be some OPIs called on him a whole lot more. He could be that guy that gets you could hear see flags on number 14 a good bit because he's handsy as well. Do you yeah. do you gather that or is that just me? Well, I mean, I look at it like this. You watch a baseball game and the thing you want to if you're if you, let's say you're a pitcher, right? What do you want to know early? You want to know how how's the game being called? Is the ump giving you the high strike, right? Is is he is he squeezing you on the corners? Because if if you know how the game's being called, you can adjust accordingly. You can just say, you know, I'm not getting that. I'm not getting that pitch low and away, but I'm getting the high strike, so I got to pound up in the zone. And when I think about Porter and Pickens, I think of it the same way. Like if you got a crew that's being really uh, specific in in what they're looking for, and they're going to really like flag you for everything, then you got to adjust your game. But if they're going to let you get away with being a little bit more physical then you can play that way, right? So so it, it, it feels as though both of those guys are, are a little more physical than they're going to be able to get away with at times. But at the same time, if I'm Mike Tomlin, I, wanna, I want them to be as physical as they can be right now, so I got to back them off, as opposed to trying to wind them up and, and get them to be more physical. I think, I think most coaches would agree with this statement that – it's way better to have to back your guys off than it is to amp them up. Like, like the last thing you want is to say to Joey Porter, like, Joey, get your hands on him, man. Like, you know, you're, you're giving him clean releases. One of the things that drove me crazy about the Steelers last year in the man coverage was that they would play press at the line of scrimmage and then they wouldn't get their hands on guys. They would just give them a free release and then just try to run with them. And I, I thought that against the better uh, passing attacks was a recipe for disaster. I remember that Buffalo game. The Bills getting free releases all game long, and I was just like, "Man, what? what let's get get out of the damn press coverage if you're not going to get your hands on guys." So that will not be a problem with Joey Porter, and it's not a problem with George Pickens. And you may, and you know, France might have to live with a few DPIs. They might have to because they're probably going to come. And and you, you, as a fan, you can't like say to you know you can't have it both ways. You can't be like, "I want our corners to be physical, but I don't, I don't ever want them to get flagged for a DPI." So. So it'll be very interesting to see how things are officiated and whether or not uh, Porter is kind of has to adjust his game as he goes. But I like where he is right now. Do you think George Pickens could be that guy that gets away with OPIs with greatness? If he learns to do it subtly, you know, you can get away with uh, pushing off when your hands are down low, right? Like we teach our receivers all the time that like when you're running, when you're running a vertical route, and you want to create separation. Let's say you're running down the, the numbers and the quarterback's going to fade you out to the sideline and you want to create a little bit of separation to the sideline, right? If you're, you got to keep your hand low and push off on the hip. You can get away with the push off on the hip because it's hard to see. You can't, when your hand's above the numbers, you can't get away with that. I mean, if George Pushing is just Pickens is just pushing, pushing guys in the back or pushing them in the numbers, he's going to get flagged like everybody else. I think his physicality isn't so much in at the separation point because he's just so good with his hands that he doesn't need that. His physicality is in the stem of your route, meaning like in his release. He's really physical in his release, and he's really good at, get, at getting separation early in routes. So he doesn't need to create it late in routes. The guys who get in trouble with the, with the OPIs are the guys who can't separate early, and they have to separate late at the very end when the ball's coming, and that causes them to have to push off. Pickens is so good – at uh, timing stuff, at being late. He's got late hands, which is like 
what, what, what you mean by that is like he doesn't throw his hands up to the last possible second. Um, and that's that makes life really hard on a D-back because one of the things the D-back does is, is you know, you tell your D-backs head and hands. When, when the head of the receiver turns to the ball and the hands go up, then your head and your hands go. Well, if that receiver's got really late hands, it makes it almost impossible for you to react properly. And Pickens has that as well. So I don't know, man. I, I think I think he'd have to be lazy to get called for a lot of OPIs because of the strengths of his game elsewhere. Did you notice any other receivers or defensive backs that really stuck out to you? Uh, I, you know, I thought James Pierre had a good day. Uh, he made some really nice plays on, you know, he was playing on the outside and uh, you know, I thought he did a nice job. Uh, Patrick Peterson didn't practice either. He's another one who didn't go. So, so Pierre uh, was running with Levi Wallace a bunch. Um, he looked sharp. Uh, offensively, right? Calvin Austin is a guy who it's going to be really interesting to see how how it works out with Calvin Austin because on in seven on seven drills, when there's no lineman out there, Calvin Austin is uncoverable. He's completely uncoverable. He is lightning quick. He gets in and out of his breaks so fast. Um, he he ran he ran a whip route. A whip route is when you're when you break inside, like you're going to come across the field, and then all of a sudden you put you put on the brakes and you just whip back outside. Um, he ran a whip route and I don't remember who the DB was, but the poor guy, I mean, he buckled his, it was like, it was like one of those NBA crossovers where the guy just kind of like, you know, falls to the ground because he, he gets his feet so tangled. Uh, but that was in seven on seven when there's no lineman. The problem for Calvin Austin is when you got into the 11 on 11 stuff, when they went 11 on 11, he didn't catch any balls. And I, and I, my suspicion is because he's hard to find. He's he's five eight, and everybody in the Steelers receiving core is huge. There, that's the other that my other takeaway is like when I was down as close as I could get to the field. The Steelers are huge at the skill positions. I, everybody knows about the tight end room, right? You know, you got six eight Gentry and six seven Washington and six five Fireman. They all make Connor Hayward look like you know he, like a little boy. They make him look so small. But then you walk over to where the wide receivers are. Uh, I mean, the wide receivers are huge. Hakeem Butler, 6'5". Boykin's 6'5". Uh, Robinson wasn't there, but he's he's 6'3". Pickens is 6'3". These guys are huge. And then you get, you know, 5'8", Calvin Austin. And I just question as to, right, you're going to have to create space for him. You're going to have to get, get him the ball in space because when he starts getting into the middle of the field, I don't know how they're going to find him. And that, that may be a challenge. At one point, they lined up Calvin Austin – in a, in like a tight twin set behind um, Pat Fryermuth, so you had six five Pat Fryermuth lined up with Austin stacked right behind him, and then they brought Darnell Washington, who, who was on the other side of the field, in motion, and they stacked Washington next to Fryermuth, and Austin just disappeared. Like I couldn't see him anymore, and they ran a route. I don't know, you know, I don't remember what they ran, but I was thinking like, man, why don't they just freaking throw the ball out to Austin out there and let those two dudes just like run interference for him. So I think that's the kind of stuff that they're going to have to do to get Calvin Austin the ball because it's going to be hard otherwise for him to, you know, to separate. Does this seem like a team that is ready for some preseason football? You know, again, man, there are no pads on and, and I got an, an, an unpadded practice in the NFL is stunningly uh, void of action. I mean, the CBA has cre- has made it so that one, there's just so little hitting to begin with, 
And now, too, when you go unpadded, even the even the 11-11 periods, like the two-minute drill stuff that they got into, the the uh, the situational stuff, the third downs, et cetera, you, you know, you got to take it all with a grain of salt because there's only so much the linemen can do. So it was hard to get a feel for, like, how physical is this team going to be, right? That's 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 what you want to see more than anything else. How physical are they going to be? And so I don't. I, it's a hard question for me to answer. I would assume that they're ready because at this point in camp, anybody who's just been going up against your, your teammates for a few weeks uh, is eager to see somebody with a different colored jersey on. And and it's cut down time, right? And that's that's another thing, man. That you like you really that really jumps out at you at at camp is just the guys who are competing. Like I'll give you one name: Madre Harper, number thirty-eight, uh, cornerback who the Steelers, I think, signed from off like the Carolina practice squad. He's probably a camp body. He's probably not going to make the team. But, man, he made some nice plays, you know, predominantly against like the third unit. But he made some nice plays at a couple good pass breakups. He had a really nice one where uh, where he stripped the ball away from number whoever number 85 is. I can't remember what, uh, his name, but uh, 80, a backup receiver. And, and, and the guy, you know, 85 caught the ball, turned up field, took a couple of steps, and Madre Harper came over and clubbed it out. And then one of the defenders fell on it, but it was so exciting to see the the veterans like, you know, get excited for him man, and, and like jumping around and like dapping him up. And it, it just feels like, like guys are competing for jobs, but they're also rooting for one another. And that's, that was cool to see. Um, so th- there's a competitive nature going on there, but there's also a lot of team building. And I'm sure by the time we get to Friday night down in Tampa, they're going to be ready to go. Yeah, absolutely they are. And, you know, number 85, if I'm not mistaken, that's uh, Dan Chisnea. Yeah, yep, that's him. That's him. I looked at, I looked that up uh, but couldn't remember. And he did some good things, man. He, he had some good moments. He caught a touchdown uh, in a in a 7-on-7 seven seven where, where he ran a nice little dig route to the middle. But he also dropped a, a ball on a, on a post route that uh, Mason Rudolph put perfectly in his hands. And you could see he was like, he was, it was like heartbreaking. You could see he was like crushed by it and he walked off the field and, and then he had the other one where, where Madre Harper like kind of knocked it out and he, and he went over and he stood on the sideline by himself because if you're, the, if you're, if you're that guy, you know, one, the odds are, it doesn't matter how great you are at camp. It's a numbers game and the numbers are stacked against you. And then two, if you make a mistake, it just, it only magnifies, uh, the, you know your long shot status and so it was almost like you saw him drop that long pass and then he went over and he stood by himself and he, you know you just kind of imagine what's going through his head it's only a matter of time etc but he came back later on and made a couple good plays so i felt good for him based on what you saw at practice on thursday and what you heard about friday night lights and the other practices uh that led up to uh now when we're talking about it what are you looking for most when you sit down and watch that game in Tampa coming up this week? I know you're not going to Tampa, uh, but, you know, hey, if we could uh, maybe get a flight down, you and I will go to Tampa. I, I'm not afraid. In fact, I'll drive. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> He's execution like, yeah. of the base offense. Okay. <laughs> I don't got to, I don't got, man, I'm, I'm into my own football season too right now. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Did you ever see that that great that great uh, that great social media clip? Man, ain't no ain't nobody got time for that. Right? <laughs> uh, so, um, yeah, execution of the base offense, you know, because you you don't see a whole lot on defense, right? It, it's pretty vanilla on defense, but 
in the base offense, you want to see timing. Uh, you want to see the front work as a unit together. I mean, it's pretty simple stuff. You know, you're not going to look for any really advanced schemes. The Steelers, I'm sure, are not going to show a lot. Uh, you'd, you'd obviously like to see some some good stuff out of the rookies. Uh, but I mean, like I said earlier, I like I like watching the line play. I, I don't know how many reps the starting line is going to get together. I'm sure they're going to get a series or two. But you want to see how cohesive they are. You want to see, yeah, are, are, are Steelers just going to run inside zone? Is that all they're going to show, inside zone and duo? Uh, if, that, if that's all they're going to show, then you, you want to see those guys move the double teams. You want to see them move defensive linemen off the ball, and then you want to see them get up on the backers. right? Just like, you know, again, from a base executional standpoint, I think that you want to make sure that that uh, you're on schedule. And then, of course, you know, you, you look for like the, the long shot guys or the fringe guys. Right. You look for the guys who you think, hey, uh, you know, this guy's uh, this guy's on the bubble and he needs to show out. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll say this and I know that this is going to disappoint some people when I say it. But one guy who I think I just mentioned, it's a numbers game. One guy I think who right now, if I'm just basing it on. Who, who you know is going to make the roster at wide receiver, right? We know we know that Deontay Johnson and Allen Robinson and George Pickens and Calvin Austin are going to make the roster at wide receiver, right? It, w- it would be absolutely stunning if Calvin Austin didn't make it. So so that's that's four guys right there. Gunnar Olszewski is probably a fifth guy because of his special teams chops. He, he took all the first reps with the punt return and kick return units. So like when they were doing any kind of special teams, he was taking the first, the first team reps at practice on Thursday. So he's probably a fifth guy, which leaves you like one roster spot really for uh, three wide receivers who are, are, are deep into the competition. And and it's miles Boykin um, and it's Cody white Absolutely. and it's Hakeem Butler. And, and a lot of people love Hakeem Butler. And, and, and I just got to tell you, man, he didn't look great at practice the other day. He dropped oh, a couple of that. balls. Don't say that. Don't say that. No, I know, man. He's a, he's a, he's a big camp darling for a lot of guys, but he dropped a couple of balls. He got crossed up on a route one time where, you know, when he came back to the huddle, Mitch Trubisky was kind of like trying to direct him. It looked like Trubisky was trying to explain to him what he did wrong. That's a killer. When you, when, when you don't know the playbook, uh, that's a, that's a quick way to you know write your ticket out of town. And again, I'm not saying that happened. I don't know what happened, but but that's kind of what it looked like. The couple of drops were were a problem. So like he's got to play well in the preseason because Miles Boykin's probably the Steelers' best special team skill player. And if you're gonna if you're gonna beat Miles Boykin on the roster for a roster spot, like you're gonna have to really show out at wide receiver. So I'm I'm not trying to break your break your heart there, Brian, but I'm just you know it's a, it's a, did, it's, a, that's it's okay. a grim reality for a lot of these guys, man. You got to like really show out or or unfortunately you're going to be somewhere else yeah and uh that's uh that's kind of one you why you are in this position where if you're hakeem butler so you know i i kind of get it so i i just don't want it i just want to say say it isn't so but i'll get over it i <laughs> definitely will so kevin let's uh we're gonna we're gonna have you on uh, other shows this week talking about camp but I really wanted to talk about the showstoppers and that's what we did. The, the big showstoppers being George Pickens and Joey Porter jr. That's something we're going to check on, check out, but there's gotta be a dude of the week for you. 
And I have one that's a former player that I have to. I cannot ignore this. So I'm going to go ahead and do that after you go ahead and give the current player that's that's pretty much a dude right now. Well, yeah, you know, I'm going to give it to the guy who I thought was the best the best player that I saw at camp on Thursday, and that was Joey Porter Jr. I thought he was the best player overall. Now, George Pickens may have gotten the better of him in their one-on-one matchups, but everything stacked against the defensive backs in an, in an unpadded practice because the quarterback can be very comfortable back there knowing he's not going to get hit and hold the ball longer, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so, it, so life is miserable for a D-back when, in, when there's no pads. Uh, but, but the way Porter competed and then some of the other plays he made and then maybe the play of the day, what they ended the Steelers ended practice with a two minute drill. And the, the first team offense got a chance to run their the two minute, you know, two minutes. They got one shot. They took over, they took the ball on their own 30 yard line. They put two minutes on the clock. They gave them one timeout and you got one shot to drive the field. And the off the first team offense quickly picked up a couple first downs, moved the ball out just past midfield. Um, and then they had a play where the defense came with a blitz. Kenny Pickett stepped up in the pocket and escaped out to his right and then he tried to he tried to get the ball to Cody White uh who was running a vertical route and White snapped off the vertical when he saw Pickett scrambling and started to work back to the ball uh and Pickett threw a pretty good ball it wasn't it wasn't in a bad spot but Joey Porter Jr just read it beautifully absolutely beautifully uh and and undercut the route and made a diving interception along the sideline to to end uh the first team's 2 minute drill and the play, you know, the place went nuts. It went nuts. I mean, it, to me, it was the play of the day because it was like a real football play again in a real pressure situation. Uh, and and it just showed, man, that you know Joey Porter Jr. is he's he is a competitive beast. He's got his father's competitive gene in him for sure. So when you know when you want to talk dudes, he was my guy. I love it, and I love to hear it. And that's everything that we were worried about Joey Porter Jr. when he started dropping. And he ended up at number 32. He's definitely put that chip on his shoulder and he's definitely ready to roll. So I love hearing all this about JPJ, number 24. I got to talk about this guy, though. I think you know where I'm going with this because this is right in your wheelhouse, Kevin Smith. This is a former Pittsburgh Steelers player that did a very heroic thing just by having compassion and listening to a high school student. And it's none other than former number one draft pick Ziggy Hood. I don't know if you've heard this entire story, Kevin, but Ziggy Hood, who is now a biology teacher at Palo Duro High School. He's also the defensive line coach there, too. And something happened where he is credited with stopping a potential school shooting happened by seeing that this stu- a particular student was struggling and he went and talked to him. And what happened is the liaison officers then found an unidentified weapon on school premises and were able to make an arrest and stop what possibly would have been something. But because Ziggy Hood was able to stop, notice that a student was having a hard time with life And he was able to save a whole lot of lives just by being aware and being able to encourage talking. And that's exactly what he did. So um, 
hats off. Probably one of my favorite ever dude, dudes of the week now. Ziggy Hood, forever. Applause. Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> That's a fantastic story. And it is incredible. Uh, I, I'll, I'll just speak as a, a high school teacher myself for 30 years. It is incredible uh, how much can be done just by paying attention and, and showing compassion and just investing in young young people and, and just letting them know that you care. I mean, sometimes all they need is somebody to pay attention because they feel lost and they feel ignored and they feel like they don't exist uh, and they don't matter. And, and I mean, sometimes it can be the simplest thing, man, you know, just like comment, you see him wearing a cool t-shirt and you just sort of comment on it, uh, or just let them know that, you know, you're, you're, you're an ear. So that's incredible, man. That's an incredible, I did, I did not know that story and that's a fantastic story. So I'm glad you shared that. That's something that just came out over the weekend. It's gaining some steam. And, uh, I, I tell you what, that is, uh, more heroic than anything that we're going to see on a football field. And the fact that, uh, a man who, spent a long time in the NFL. I mean, not just with Pittsburgh. He was about three or four years in Pittsburgh, but spent a lot of years in uh, with the uh, Washington football team. I believe the Miami Dolphins. I think Jacksonville as well. So he had over a 10-year career. And, you know, he's. I'm sure he's put away a whole bunch of money and saved some money. But giving back as a biology teacher and uh, – and a high school football coach, I I think that's absolutely phenomenal as well for somebody that was a number one draft pick and a uh, a standout in college at the University of Missouri. I my hats my hat just goes off to this guy. Yeah, that's great stuff. So, All right, on that you, note, man. appreciate it. Yep, applause. So on that note, it's time to get on out of here. But we already we're not going to preview the Tampa Bay game. Because we basically did it with what you're looking for in this game. But we know that uh, Baker Mayfield is going to be starting for Tampa. And that just makes me happy. I wish he was back in the AFC North. But we get to see good old BM once again. So that's going to be a lot of fun. And he's going to have some kind of orange in his, uh, like a shade of orange on his jersey. So that's going to make you feel good as well. Because, you know, they always wear white usually in Tampa on those home games, especially at night when it's hot and it's going to be a hot summer night. So I, I'm going to have some flashbacks, some good flashbacks of the Steelers beating this guy around. <laughs> I'm sure Alex Highsmith will uh, introduce himself. Yeah, I, I'm sure he will. So with that being said, Kevin, it is time to get on out of here. You have so much stuff going on this week. Where are you going to be around FFSN? Yeah, well, speaking of the Browns, we're going to do a Browns preview. Uh, we're going to do a, a reaction to the Steelers' uh, uh, game on Friday night, which which we'll we'll get up on on SCN. Browns preview over on FFSN. Uh, new call sheet podcast this week, where where we're talking about training camps in general uh, and how the uh, you know what are the goals that teams choose to uh, define throughout their training camps and some of the more intriguing training camp battles around the NFL, but also really looking uh, from a coach's standpoint at, at how, how do you structure training camp? How do you how do you get the most out of your team? How do you get them ready to play a regular season? Right. So we're really going to take a deep, deep dive on the on the nature of training camp on the uh, call sheet podcast this week. All right. That is going to be fantastic. Make sure you check that out. 
My name is Brian Anthony Davis. His name is KT Smith. We are Steel Curtain Network, a part of Fans First Sports Network. Make sure you check out the network and you check out everywhere else, no matter what sport you're into. Fans First Sports Network is covering it all, doing our best to do so. We are bringing in more affiliates every single day. It is something to uh, something that we are proud of here, and we need you to check out our labor of love. So make sure you check out Fans First Sports Network. We have the website, and we also have all the podcasts that you can go ahead and uh, load on to your, uh, your iPod. Do, do people still have iPods? <laughs> I, I, I had to say it. I, I just had to say iPod. Um, with that being said, this is Brian. He's KT. Keep your feet on the ground. Keep reaching for those hypocycloid stealer fans.